0: Welcome to, You Wear It Well. Hi, I'm your host, Jeff Heiserman, physical therapist and founder and CEO of Spectrum Ergonomics and Occupational Health Services. We're at the intersection of fashion and technology, otherwise known as wearables. We look at the people, products, and research that make up this exciting world of wearables. Are you a fashion designer, electrical engineer, or someone with the dream of designing a wearable? Apply for membership to my LinkedIn group page, Biotech Fashion, and join in the discussion. Are you a startup wearable company? Don't know where quite to go from here? Well, you have the questions, and Spectrum Ergonomics has the answers. Go to our company website at www.spectrumergonomics.com and click on the link. Wearables. There you'll find a wide variety of services and other contractors that we work with to help make your product become a reality. We're here to help you through the process of iteration to packaging and beyond. Where did you get the interest to want to do this and with the photobiomodulation? Was there any particular event in your life or you're just fascinated by light and what it can do? So how did you come up with the, the ideas to want to start doing this kind of research?
1: Okay, I'm, in, I'm Canadian, I'm in Toronto now. In the late 90s and uh, 2000s, uh, now I've been in this technology for quite a long time. I was actually based in the Silicon Valley in uh, Northern California. And I was, we were part of a group that investigated lasers, light, flat panel displays, and the effects and stuff. So at that time, the only meaningful research, US was just emerging, were coming out of. The Soviet bloc. The publications were in Russian, not necessarily robust trials, but very, very fascinating. And at that point, there was discussion about injecting laser light into the vein, so it's invasive, and observing very interesting outcomes like improving in blood properties and avoiding cardiac-based problems, you know, stuff like that, improving circulation, faster recovery from surgery, minimizing the risk of diabetes and a bunch of stuff. So I thought, hey, this is really fascinating. But the thing is, you know, why would you want to inject light into the vein? If you think about it, light can actually penetrate the skin. You know, red light penetrates to a certain amount. It's not that difficult to visualize. You put your hand up, you shine red light, you can see some of some of it coming through the other side. So it penetrates. Now, near-infrared is invisible. It goes, penetrates deeper. So I thought, okay, you know, let's find a method to get light into the body with the least barrier the barrier is your skin so it can be so the nose is actually a logical place because the membrane is thin there's rich uh, vasculature in the nasal area and that time we were talking about lasers so use a very low laser and see what happens and i did see changes in you can actually put samples of blood into under a microscope and see the changes in aggregation and stuff like that. So say, okay, this is I'm observing what the other earlier scientists were observing when they inject light into the vein, or rather the laser actually at the time. So that's it. You know, so we I I developed enough later on I found a pattern for delivering light into the body through the nose. And I came up with a patent for intranasal-like therapy. Then we went on, I went on and, and thought about it. Yep, the nose is actually also a good place to reach the brain because the olfactory is part of your the nasal system, just above the nasal cavity is actually part of your brain. And then the olfactory bulb has direct projection to some really key areas of, of your brain like the thalamus which you know spread to the rest send signals to other parts of your cortex uh the memory area the hippocampus the medulla your emotional system the whole limbic system so then um I a follow pattern i got a pattern for that and then okay now let's reinforce it further with delivering light through the skull that is kind of in. Uh, You know, more intuitive for everybody, okay, you know, to reach the brain, let's go through the skull. And we added that, and now we have various methods that incorporate the delivering delivering light to the skull from the top, uh, delivering light to the brain from the nose, and also reach, because from the nose, it reaches the circulatory system. It can be systemic for your whole body, too, with red light. Red light doesn't penetrate as deep as near infrared, but it's, you know, obviously lights up the, the vasculature, the, the capillaries around it. And you get a systemic effect. Now we have other devices, which are more obvious to many uh, people in this field is to deliver light to your, to your joints. To accelerate healing, delivering light to your face to have this, you know, your skin to rejuvenate. And, there, you know, there are more investigations are needed to see okay, as regards to pain, can we block pain signals? Can we reduce chronic pain by reducing inflammation? Actually, it does based on studies, depending on the level of power and the pulse frequency, too. Pulse frequencies, we you know, because of the work we're doing, I can see that different pulse rate can either stimulate the the physiological system or to inhibit. Believe believe it or not, it does it does this. You know, depending depending on the pulse frequency, a uh, number of times you pulse per second. So this this is uh, sorry. I went to a little bit to the the origin and then went on to. Uh, what we developed later. Another question.
0: Obviously, it was that this was a long period of time that you studied. Obviously, light talking about laser back in the late nineties or early two thousand. So we're talking twenty years later. You now have the ViLight, which for the listeners, you'll see the link to the website will be in the liner notes. But basically, when I first saw it, when I went on the website, it reminded me of the skeleton of a bicycle helmet. Take the skin of the bicycle helmet off, and there's the violet, and then the red light coming from that. So I thought that was a real ingenious way to put that together. So let me ask you this question with regards to that. How long did it take you through those years to actually settle upon the more exact placement of the red light, on the Violite device that goes onto the head. Then the the nasal one you already yeah. talked about. You know, that's pretty straightforward. But how did you come up with the placement for the red lights on the top of the skull?
1: Yes, I'm glad you brought it up. Now, everything we do in our design has a reason for it. Why don't we just use a, like a bicycle helmet and just stick LEDs on the back of it like some people do? We don't actually use off-the-shelf LEDs. So the shelf with LEDs, I believe, is too weak. You know, the off the, the, the shelf is like twenty, twenty-two to twenty-five milliwatts. And then by the time, in a lot, of, you know, these helmets, there is a distance between your scalp and the LED source. Now, in physics, there is um, the inverse square law of ra- radiation, which means, that, which relates to the attenuation of the power actually you, you, square, you square a certain ratio, so it's quite drastic. So small distances brings down the, the amount of power needed. So when you look at panel, I have some panels, these this ray light panels, they have reflectors which helps to overcome this. Those are better panels. Those are just like, you know, red light and, you know, expect to get something. Okay, you see some light on your skin. It doesn't mean it does much because there's so much attenuation in the light. So the best ones are those those that have contacts. So it makes use of the little power they have. But in our case, we go for, some of it is confirmed by the imaging work we're doing now. We literally do research with people with lasers on the head in a MRI scanner so we can see the imaging and see what power is needed to get the brain to respond. Now, this is not published yet because we have more subjects to go. But when it comes out, it's going to be actually groundbreaking. But we want to continue investigation with more people so we can actually see the brain responding in real time. But it's got to be of a certain power density. Power density means power per square centimeter, you know, in a restricted area. Too little does nothing, too much has a negative effect. So we translate that. I'm glad that all the years before we actually did that, we generally got it right. But we can fine-tune it further to do that. Now the question comes is, okay, now we have power. Why do we place in certain areas? Actually, like scatters, when they, through imaging, we see that too. In one place is, you know, it moves onto the rest of the brain. But we also do something else. We do... Or EEG work to look at the electrical signals that come, you know, that's um, that's produced by your, your brain and get measured. So these electrical signals EEG, and we are finding that actually, despite of what this blood flows in the MRI scanner is showing, we actually see some localization as well, and it seems to matter. Because we do that and we also test on real people like sensitive brains, you know, that uh, when we shift the location, it seems to have uh, different outcomes too. Now we place the LEDs primarily on the hubs of a network of the brain called the default mode network. Now why do we matter that, you know, we put on the hubs of the default mode network? Now, when you close your eyes, you rest and not do a task your brain goes into this network is often related to 10 Hertz, around the 10 Hertz, you know, 8 to 12 alpha. And also it activates this default mode. And the the health of your default mode network is related to overall cognition, you know, overall memory and stuff like that. But in in the literature, it has been related to Alzheimer's disease. Dementia is related to depression. is related to schizophrenia and a bunch of other things. So it does seem that if you can keep the default mode network healthy, uh, you will have a healthy brain. So that's why we locate that. I may be challenged scientifically because we bring up challenges to ourselves because of the imaging, what we do. But... You know, you've got to put a lot of things uh, together. So that was the original idea. Now we have another one uh, with a new model to have one more to the back of the head to cover the cerebellum. We call it cerebellum has been even longer than, you know, the thinking part of your brain, the neocortex. That involved with coordination, like almost like a quality control your brain. If that's not functioning well, uh, your brain is basically off. So everything is deliberate. It's for... Locations, power density, and ultimately, we want to make it comfortable. So our now we're in the, for the neuro for the brain. We're on version four, which means that we went through four revision to make it more comfortable. Actually, more looking the latest one look pretty cool. Go to the website. We I think the latest one may not be out yet on the website, but but you can see you know the improvements that we are doing. And the website actually gives a lot of explanation. I would encourage you to go there. This, you know, I spend a lot of time talking, but it's nothing near to the information we have on the website.
0: Spectrum Ergonomics and Occupational Health Services provides a broad array of design and engineering professionals for your wearable project. We feature the following design specialties, pattern making, digital textile, athletic wear, sensor, fashion, exoskeleton, robotics, and mechatronics. We also offer beta testing of your wearable in our private clinic. You choose the demographics and sample size, send us the sample, and we take care of the rest. For more information, go to www.spectrumergonomics.com for more information. Hey, if you're a startup wearable company and you'd like to be able to get your information on this podcast, please contact me at my company website www.spectrumergonomics.com I'd love to be able to feature a little bit about what you're doing to let the world know about your wearable. Well, thanks for joining me at the intersection of fashion and technology. And may you wear it well.